Hi, and welcome to Right to Be Heard with Robert Gillis. I'm Robert, and I'm an artist, songwriter, and producer. And for this episode, I sat down with one of my oldest friends, Adam Kronowski, who on my phone is also known as Kron, and to many in the old school Charlie Puth fandom, is Man With A Wig. Adam and I first met at Berkeley, and through this podcast, I actually learned that we had way more in common than I even originally thought when we first met all those years ago. He has been on an incredible musical and personal journey of self-exploration and discovery, and the way in which both our lives are so paralleled honestly blew me away. This conversation went incredibly deep, very, very fast, and it's one that I have been so excited for you to hear. So give a warm right to be heard welcome to Adam Kronowski. Dude, it is so good to see your face. It is so good to see your face. Because <laughs> I realized, uh, and this has happened on a few of these episodes where I, I haven't actually seen the person in so long. And I realized the last time I saw you was meant to be the first of like, because we hadn't seen each other since we graduated. Yeah. And then I saw you in LA. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, this will be the start of us finally getting to spend time together. <laughs> and then the pandemic happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much ruins everything for everyone. I really appreciate you being here. Honestly, this episode is, is, is for me, it's going to satisfy so much curiosity that I have about your life. That's just it. Like, Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. No pretenses. Beautiful. <laughs> I met you at Berkeley. Yes. I think I was in my last semester. Yes. And you were in your first. Yes. And I just remember at first being like, damn, who is this A, handsome dude, who B, <laughs> plays everything very proficiently. <laughs> oh, man. That, that is definitely, that is, that is not how it felt on the inside for me. For me, it was more like, oh, wow, here's this, here I am, this young, confused person who thought I could play stuff pretty well. And now I'm learning, nah, I don't know about that. So <laughs> that's what it was like on the other side. I feel like that is a wonderfully like condensed version, I think, of what our college experiences are like. 100%. music. 100%. Yes. Like I remember when I was auditioning and feeling like I'm not the best player ever, but I feel like I'm pretty good. Right. And then walking down the hall with a bunch of other guitar players and being like, Oh my God, what is a guitar? A hundred percent. And, oh man, on every level, not only everyone that's there, but then being confronted with trying to play for the faculty and you mm. can even be doing a good job, but they might not know anything about the genre that you play a lot in. So they might just be confused by what you do, even if you do it well. Yeah, I think going to college for something subjective is just hard on all parties involved. <laughs> really hard to put a metric in there to to measure by. Because, like, this is the part where I realize, because, like, I love your artist project. Thank you. Like, genuinely, for some reason, I'd forgotten that I loved Stradivarius and, yes. and Rhapsody. And then recently, like, one of my friends reminded me. And then I remembered your project and was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> your project's ridiculous. It's amazing. Thank you. Which suddenly made me realize that even when I met you, I don't actually know what instrument you auditioned on. <laughs> I, I, <Because> of, <laughs> I auditioned on drums. I got in on drums. Wow. In my head, I was like, 
was it was it guitar was it was it piano <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i did i think you know i mean it was between drums and piano to audition on because i i played piano the longest but definitely growing up drums was always i think the most fun for me and also especially for the sake of an audition just requires the least thought and i know there's probably other people out there who would disagree they'd be like oh you have to do so much ambidextrous stuff but there's no notes you know, you just, you just, you go in blind with the feeling and you get it right or you get it wrong. But like, to me, that's way easier than like coming out with some, I don't know, Beethoven symphony thing. And like, oh no, I forgot measure 702. Like, no, I'm just going to hit some drums and hopefully they like it. Well, apparently they did. I didn't, and- I didn't think so at the time. I did not get good vibes from my audition itself. It was weird. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, it was fine, but I definitely left the room that day being like, all right, well, uh, what are the other colleges? <laughs> and not, not even because I, I didn't think that I messed up. It was just, first of all, I didn't I didn't audition at the school itself. I did one of the, like, whatever, their roaming mobile auditions. So they came through Atlanta, Georgia, because I'm from Augusta, Georgia. And it was in some kind of weird, like, decrepit office park area building, non-descript, like, I don't know, like, kind of felt like like definitely a 50% chance of asbestos just floating around in there. <laughs> and I remember going into the room. First of all, I don't, I have no idea. I don't think that either the two people who I was auditioning for were drummers. I think it was just kind of like, you know, Berkeley sends out like, all right, well, you, you two... Maybe you're not teaching that many classes right now. Go to go to Atlanta. See if these kids suck or not. Um, and I went in there and I played like a little over half of my prepared piece. And obviously, as you know, yeah, I come from like a hard rock, heavy metal background with drumming and progressive metal. So it's always bizarre and was a difficult thing for me through all of Berkeley to uh, I, I would play in these tiny rooms, you know, because every you're always playing in a tiny room for like two people who especially just always pissed me off with drums. Never have earplugs, and even though they're like, "Come in, play whatever style you're best at," and it's like, "Well, my style is hitting this as hard as I can." So um, <laughs> my style is deafening you. Yeah, <laughs> and and I would even from that. I think from literally my audition, I might have gotten a note of like, "You need to learn how to play for the room." That was something mm-hmm. that always annoyed me as more and more and more as I went on. Because, of course, at the beginning, you know, you just take everything that everyone says and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I need, to, I need to learn how to do that. As I went on, it's you kind of realize, no I, no, I don't. There's literally zero moments in life where if you are in any way turning into some sort of professional rock or metal musician that you are going to need to play for a room slightly larger than a bedroom. And like, you know, no one's, no one's booking Metallica at Olive Garden in the background or whatever, (laughs) you know, like it's, it, that's just not part of the style. That's not what it is. Even if it's a small venue, it still is going to be loud and that's how you play it. Automatically, it it feels like it gets off on the wrong foot. So they kind of like, they stopped me halfway through. They spoke in German to each other for like a minute and a half with me just sitting there. So yeah, that, that felt great. And then I think they like asked me to play three different grooves, said if I had any interest in music business. And I, just, especially being like 18 and not even knowing 
anything about the majors at school or even the business beyond it. I was just like, uh, yeah, uh, yes, I have interest in the music business. <laughs> and then I left and that was it. And I was like, okay, well that's, that was horrible. <laughs> and then, that is you know, bizarre. yeah, that, that was my audition experience. It was super weird. And then, yeah, whatever it was like a month and a half later, got the email and it was like, all right, you can come. <laughs> Did you feel then, because I know, you know, Berkeley's background, at least, I guess, classically is jazz. Mm-hmm. And like, did you feel like your whole experience at Berkeley was kind of like a macrocosm of your, of your audition where like you're, you're, you're trying to fit in or, or did you find your, your lane? Yes and no. I'd say in term, maybe within classes, within academics more. Yeah. It was a little bit of that macrocosm, but I, um, I don't think that was only just for me. The way that I feel about my experience at Berkeley was I I learned by far the most my first year because I do think that the very basic core curriculum does a really good job at, you know, whether you're already pretty seasoned with music theory and know what you're doing or if you're a vocalist who got in who has, you know, can't play a single instrument and doesn't even know what the difference between a C or a D is, you know, getting through that, getting through that core curriculum is going to flesh you out with a good knowledge of just the vocabulary of music. From there, I think there are some tracks at Berkeley that can be great. And there are some that are borderline worthless. (laughs) That was maybe where sometimes I felt like the macrocosm of that same experience would come in because you, you'd have, I just, I don't know, I came across a lot of professors, and I know, I'm sure you did, I know everyone did, especially people who maybe followed some more of the creative majors and not the, you know, music business, music production, things that have more clear-cut, you know, testable things or right and wrong answers, that you can even be being taught by someone who has accomplished amazing things in their field, but it either might not relate at all to what you want to accomplish. It might not relate at all to the state of music today. And that, mm-hmm. that was something that would, even if sometimes I shared their sentiments a little bit, uh, it would always bug me to, you know, you'd have sometimes like the older, like 60, 70 year old professor who just like half of their lecture is just talking down on how bad music is today. And it's like, <laughs> even if that's the case, this is the school that's supposed to be preparing us for a career in that industry. So even even if you don't, like, I mean, myself included, I, I'm, I'm not interested in, like, really writing pop songs anymore or whatever. Um, but I think that every, like, you should be taught or and there should be teachers that know the current landscape of the industry so that you're just prepared for what you're walking into and then can make educated decisions for what you want out of that. But I just felt there was like, there were so many people who had accolades, but had not a single clue as to what was going on in the music world of whatever, you know, 2010, 2011. And then at at that point, you're just like, the classes turn into more like fun, subjective experiments, but I, but you don't feel trained for anything. You don't feel Mm. ready to tackle the real world when you get out of there. I absolutely get you there. And that's, I I think that's been like one of my experiences, particularly going into like songwriting sessions Mm. was like what I was prepared for and what I was training for in some ways it helped. There were some moments where I felt like 
oh, I've had experience doing co-writes. This mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. I've got some like a little bit of production experience. But the actual like here's the real life version of what a session is like, right. how these songs are going to be pitched. Right. A lot of the processes that I experienced, a lot of the conversations that I had were things that I was in no way prepared for. hundred percent. And I, and I do feel like the same as you, <laughs> like the first conversation I had with anyone in the songwriting department was when I showed an interest in declaring it as a major mm-hmm. And I was sat next to um, Jack Perricone, who was the head of the department at the time. And I think he was probably in his 70s. Like, super cool guy. His accolades are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I remember he sat me down at the end of this really long, very, like, dark wooden table mm-hmm. with, like, it looked like a leather top that had been, like, burned with cigarettes over time. <laughs> and he was like, so you want to be a thong, right? It's a hard life. I'm like, yep. I have no idea where that accent's from. Um, and he, he basically just laid into me about how difficult it was going to be. Sure. And in no way did we talk about actual, like, you know, realities. It was just, this is going to suck. Are you ready for it? And I was just young and naive and just like, hell yeah, let's, of course. let's go. Right. That kind of mirrored my experience through a lot of classes where yeah. I feel like there were people who were idolizing music that was 30, 40, 50 years older. Right. And some of those lessons on timeless songs are absolutely applicable. A hundred percent. But a lot of the attitudes were were very dated and it meant that my first, oh my gosh, at least my first six months to a year were like a culture shock. Oh, yeah. Like after graduating. Yeah, mine was I basically just like crawled in a hole and didn't do anything. <laughs> it's just like, I, I, I feel like the, I, so I was only at Berkeley for three years. I, first year was amazing, almost kind of like a, a, a fantasy where it was all of the joy of, I mean, just kind of the affirmation of like, oh my God, I got into Berkeley. I guess I don't suck. You know, maybe this this is something I can do long term. And you're meeting the most amazing young musicians in the entire world. And you're in the middle of this big city. And I mean, it's, you know, it's just like, what more could you ever ask for? And the second year was kind of like an in-between for me where there still is all that magic it's maybe wearing off a little bit and you're getting deeper into just kind of college life, but you start to kind of have one eye looking towards the future and kind of wondering like, oh, okay, okay, so then what's like the next step of this? And then year three was just like the full sense of doom <laughs> sitting in underneath the surface of like, oh my God, I don't think this is going anywhere. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where this is going. Um, so by the time that I, um, yeah, by the time that I graduated and we can take a left turn into this if we want or not, but I also like, I have reoccurring, uh, mental health struggles throughout my whole life. Um, and that definitely, um, it's obviously, it's not because of the stress of going out into the music world or being done with college or whatever. It would have been there regardless, but I definitely think it was a perfect breeding ground for things mm-hmm. to get pretty bad for me. So that unfortunately it was kind of by the time that I left and dumped myself in the real world, I was both, I was not prepared on Berkeley's side. I was not prepared in my own mind to deal with myself. And it was, it was, it was bumpy for a while to just kind of figure out even 
what direction to point myself in, you know, mm. it, it, it's, it is weird to, you know, go to quote unquote, a you know, prestigious elite college or whatever. And then to come out the other side and be like, all right, like, where do you want to go flip burgers and still somehow figure out the rest of this? And you're just like, well, I, maybe I'll just stay home and cry. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up because I think knowing what I know about myself now mm. explains a lot of my experiences at Berkeley mm -hmm. from a mental health perspective. Sure. Because I, I certainly feel like there, there are more people walking around with, I don't want to say issues, mm -hmm. but unresolved trauma. Sure, definitely. That, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of people out there, myself included, who have looked back on things and gone, why was that so difficult? Mm -hmm. Or why is this current period in time so freaking challenging for me? Totally. And I remember, I think, I think I, I feel like you and I then had a parallel experience because as soon as I, as soon as I graduated, I suddenly felt like the world just fallen out underneath me. Hundred percent. Because Berkeley, despite you know like the the ups and downs and you know some classes I loved, some classes I didn't, it gave me an external structure. hundred percent. Which held me. Yes. And I realize now that part of the reason why I was for the most part, pretty stable as a, as a teenager and then into college was because that external structure held me together. Sure. Yeah. It's like when you're playing some open world video game and you're getting lost, but then there's like that one thing where there's kind of like an arrow pointing somewhere and you're like, all right, I know I'm on my own, but not really. Yeah. There, there's that structure that even when you feel lost, there's something to follow. There's a great community built around you because that that's definitely i mean whenever anyone asks me about the pros and cons for me about berkeley like the biggest pro by far is not the school but the people the students mm -hmm. the the f everyone that you meet the friendships that you make the just everything that you get into with everyone from music to just life like that was incredible at berkeley and I definitely haven't experienced something to that scale since, you know, not, not anywhere close. So I don't know that, that, that's what, that's what a lot of that third year was for me was this combination of like, I could see around the corner and I could mm. see that the drop was coming, but I was still living this arguably pretty great existence within Berkeley. And it was this weird kind of push pull of, still wanting to stay in the moment and just have fun with what I was doing and not, not care that much about like, Oh, what happens next? But also knowing that like, it, you know, it's coming and, and it's going to be a lot different than anything you've ever experienced. Cause exactly like you said, there's literally no structure whatsoever, no path to follow. Yeah. I, I found it like paralyzing when I had to suddenly create that structure for myself. Yes. Yeah, I'm still figuring and, out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, it, it's like same here. It is, it is such a strange position to be in. Yes. I think something that you just touched on, which is so important, is the aspect of community. Mm -hmm. And I think I have found myself trying to replicate that. Mm -hmm. So when I first moved to LA, I I found my initial like crew, mm -hmm. and a lot of them were like Berkeley grads. Yeah. And so it felt very safe. Mm -hmm. 
and I wanted that to be like my forever crew. Right. And in the absence of that, you know, things change over time. I kept thinking to myself, I can't just continue to be a free agent. I need these these tight friendships. I need this community. Yes. Because I, you know, I, I do find myself like as as insane as like especially living on campus was, it was the most freaking fun ever. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was awesome. Like when else are you gonna be in a position to like maybe be a bit of an insomniac and then someone comes up from like the studios yelling, mm-hmm. I need some vocalists, mm-hmm. I, I need some Foley. Yeah. Can you do voiceover? Yeah. What do you play? Can you come to a session from two to six in the morning? Hundred percent. And it's 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 mad and it's beautiful and it's insane and it never happens again. Yep. But I think that it set me up to want to create that. Yes. And yeah. to keep searching for like I suppose the beauty that I discovered there. Totally. In that community and and replicate it outside totally i i think what, what's because you lived in the dorms the whole time right if i, remember? I did which, yeah <laughs> which i know yeah, yeah most people would be like oh my god but in the same way of what you're talking about like so i i just spent that first year and then i my other two years i was in an apartment very close to the dorms uh but while on one hand like i am happy i moved out to the apartment i loved having my own space with all of that but i think there was tiny moments of even still at Berkeley, even whatever, right down the street from the dorms, wanting to recreate little aspects of that experience. Cause that first year, yeah, it really, it just had this, like, I don't know, you see, like, you're just, you're just in another planet. You're in another world of another set of rules <laughs> when you were, when you were in the dorms. And obviously it's something that you know, can't last forever in that sense because it's, you know, you're well, just with everything that goes with living in dorms. But, um, but yeah, I, I even, it, it was crazy to just even be in your second year at college and like be craving, trying to create some of that, just that randomness, that fluidity, even just making sure like, okay, how many of my friends also live within like a very short two to three block walking distance from me. So we can still kind of have that same, Oh, I'm bored. All right. We're going to go to this person's house. We're going to go to this person's house, knock on this door, knock on this door. You know, um, that was just obviously the way of life in the dorms because it's, you're basically living in a a hotel where you know everyone. (laughs) So, um, yeah, no, it really is. It's magical. So I have to know when you were auditioning, Mm -hmm you would have had some sort of goal that you were setting for yourself in auditioning. Sure, yes. And I'm curious to know how that held up once you graduated. Like, where were you on that path? Or had you completely, like, decided on a, on a different course altogether? Honestly, I feel like the answer or the explanation of that whole question is a, a very long kind of almost winding circle that comes back to really only about a year ago, which is... By the time that I was, well, when I was auditioning, um, obviously I was auditioning on drums. Um, I was I was playing in a like a local rock band, um, kind of like like Muse, Radiohead influenced. Uh, back in my hometown, and I, I come from a smaller town in Georgia, so we had kind of gotten to a point where we were one of the biggest bands in the town. Not that again, that means 
anything, but, but you still like, it was cool to be, um, you know, to be in high school and to have like, even this 1% feeling of like, okay, like, you know, we're doing something. Other people like it too. So going into Berkeley, I was like, all right, well, I want to go there and I want to basically form a band at some point that then is going to be what I want to kind of commit my musical life to. And obviously thinking that that was going to be probably stemming a lot from this, some sort of rock metal, you know, that, that somewhere within that styling though, with who knows what influences pretty much through my entire time at Berkeley. I mean, I played with so many people, like, like, you know, like we all did. There's like, multiple gigs a week and and I I mean I loved all of it I played so many different styles I kind of became almost like I feel like one of the go-to drummers for the songwriting community in my time there which was super cool obviously not what I expected at all (laughs) Um, and all these things were great but then by the time that um, I was getting close to graduating it, it was just becoming super apparent to me that I was like all right I've met all these people I'm playing with all these people and having an amazing time, but I, in this entire time, I've never met some group of people that it feels like, all right, we should, we should turn this into a unit. It was very much just, all right, you know, can, can you play drums for this? All right, you know, let's do this gig. Let's do this one. I'm playing with this person, blah, blah, blah. It's all fun. It's all great. It's all uh, a great community, but especially since I wasn't writing any of the music or anything, You know, it was all just kind of like this frantic work for hire stuff that was super fun, but maybe in the long run, not not a ton of it was super fulfilling. But by the time that I was graduating, I also was scared out of my mind of how I was going to financially be able to figure out anything from music. So I kind of by that point, I of course, I knew it was what I wanted to do, but I wasn't even considering trying to do some rock or metal stuff or whatever because I was like, well, first I just have to figure out like how to keep a roof over my head. Um, Mm -hmm. And while obviously there's logic in that, I also think parts of that mindset, while true in a sense, were some of my first bigger mistakes that I needed to learn from because what started as just like, all right, like, you know, well, let's, let's explore like more of like pop music going on right now and see what I like about it and see if I can get involved in it, which is a great thing. Quickly kind of got turned, especially in my like very obsessive mind into, all right, well, I just have to figure out how to make it by any means necessary. And it's not dependent on whether I like it or not. Like I just, I just have to figure out how to crack this code of the industry. Mm Um, and the more that my mind got set on that, the less I was really motivated to do much of anything. Well, first of all, I moved to New York first and there's just nothing going on in New York, but it it gave me a good time period to really learn a lot more of just production and recording and everything myself. I didn't major in that. And I've like dabbled around in pro tools since like before Berkeley, but never very proficiently. So that was a good time period where I, I would I would occasionally like drum for another artist for like a little bit or something, but you know, no one no one major not doing like serious you know, employed touring work or whatnot. And I was doing that for a couple of years and then I finally got the memo where I was like, all right, well let's let's get out to LA. Let's you know, that's obviously where everything is now. And I came out here 
loved the city far more than I loved New York. New York was just, I mean, it's great, but it's, it's, it's oppressive. And so I started doing some sessions and stuff and I was enjoying it. Like there was, there was little aspects of it that were flickers of some of those old Berkeley feelings of just like getting to get in a room with someone and just, you know, a stranger that you've never met before. And within an hour and a half, you're friends and then you're making a song and it's, that part was really, really cool. But it was also clear that just for me as a person, going back to that day one, what did I want to do? I wanted to, you know, kind of form some sort of a band or a unit and and make the music that I wanted to make that clearly since day one was not very focused on the mainstream or whatnot, you know. And so there was there was just there was always something missing for me. I just never would consider just doing something myself because there was kind of this voice in the back of my head that was like, well, I mean, if if you can't figure out how to do this thing that everyone likes and make it work, you know, mm. how do you think you'd make something work that arguably almost no one <laughs> likes? <laughs> and that, I mean, I'm kind of just trying to fast forward through it all, but that really kind of was still something I was struggling with up through almost kind of the pandemic. I mean, it was weighing on me, I think, more and more and more that I still just wasn't doing stuff with music that really deeply excited me. I, I liked working with my friends. It's not like saying like that there was no love in doing the sessions or this or that, but it just, it wasn't something, you know, I wasn't getting up every day and being like, all right, let's do it. Like, let's go, right. Let's book more sessions. Let's go. It was like, if something came my way, I would do it. Other than that, I, I, you know, wasn't that interested. <laughs> and, um, a slight sidebar to all this Starting back in 2015, uh, me and a buddy in just a kind of desperate attempt to try to start making some passive income started uh, distributing like sleep sounds and sleep music online. <laughs> I remember this. I yes. was even going to ask you about yes. it. <laughs> yes. So this has been kind of going on the entire time at like a very low level, you know, like five hours or less of work a week, just like make some new releases, keep them coming out for years. It was just very small amounts of passive income. Like, you know, I mean, at the beginning it was like, Oh my God, we can buy drinks this weekend with, you know, sleep money. Like this is, this is incredible. <laughs> um, and over time, I mean, I, I guess by some combination of, persistence and luck, it just started to grow. Basically, by the time the pandemic hits, I'm already not liking that much of what I'm doing in terms of sessions and whatnot. Now I really can't do anything. I've also hit a point of basically being completely financially independent with this sleep stuff. Wow, that's insane, dude. Which is pretty wild. I mean, never would have guessed that, that would have been the way that it went. So not only am I not liking kind of pursuing the as much of the session path and whatnot but for the first time i'm like i also like i don't have to you know <laughs> like like i don't have to, if i never did any of that you know it's not like i can't pay my bills or anything like that and then just for all of us being trapped inside with quarantine and, and whatnot i think it just really got me to circle back around to your initial question the at the beginning at those auditions, you know, what is it that I really want to do? And it's like, 
well, I still want to make that type of music that inspires me the most. I finally was at the point where I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I've been bouncing around between all these different things basically since almost like the start of Berkeley, and they're all fun in all different ways, but none of them have ever made me want to hang my hat on it. I have the the freedom to be able to pursue this. Let's let's just do it. So I think it was late, late 2020 was when I just kind of like I recorded the first song for it. Like, and I just put it out myself. You know, I mean, there's I still, I mean, as of now, I, I have no manager, no label, no nothing. And I took a little bit of extra time to study up on, you know, Instagram marketing and all this sort of stuff nice. and just any, any way that I could help myself. And not that it's um, some like absolutely mind blowing numbers or whatnot, but the crazily like the first single immediately out of the gate had a certain amount of legs to it. Like it start, people started listening to it and it's, I mean, it's, you know, like you said, it's, I mean, this kind of heavy power metal, it's, uh, it's yeah, not, not what most people listen to. And it was, it was pretty crazy to take all that time to finally just decide to take the chance on the thing that I definitely just wanted to do from the beginning. I almost I almost don't want the fact that it worked to be the focus because like my mindset going into it, which is scary to finally, I feel like, get to this level, but was a mindset of like, like this could fail for forever and I still want to do it. Like I just want to do something that I I care about doing and I'm not focused on what is it going to do? How, you know, not, not saying I won't still approach it with a business mind. Of course you need to, because I feel like there were so many people at Berkeley, you know, that would always be annoying sometimes where it's just like, no, nah, it's just about the music. Like don't care about anything else. It's like, no, you, you do need to pay attention to other things. <laughs> like, like you should pay attention to the business no matter, I don't care if you're making jazz piano albums or, producing for Drake like you should take a look at the whole picture of what you're trying to do not not only making music but yeah I, I, I put it out um, actually like within this past week that first single just hit a million streams no way dude that's amazing congratulations crazy and yeah so now I'm a real little metal boy <laughs> after all this time that is, a, that is amazing I love that that's a, that's a, like a you're so right it's a it's a full circle yeah it, with, it with totally some wiggles is. along the way a lot, yeah, a lot, a lot of them and then sometimes and just stoppages, but <laughs> in that sense, I really feel a parallel in in both of our experiences. And there's something I want to touch on briefly to see if this resonates with you. Sure. And that is that I think at some point I felt like I was so deep in music mm-hmm. that I did end up in the same position where I started to get in some sessions where if the song got cut Mm -hmm. and did super well Mm -hmm. i wouldn't want my name on it like it just felt like i was just doing stuff that like i felt like i had to do it because i'm so deep in right and i'm just gonna do anything that works and then realizing oh my gosh i've got myself to this point where it's almost i'm so far down the road at this point Mm. that i feel a bit trapped yeah what do i do do i just keep forging forward on this and in the same way i i think the pandemic for me was a wake-up call I think deep down inside I knew for a couple of years that I wasn't doing what I actually wanted to do. Totally. I'm doing music. That's what I want to do. But the type of music, the songs, the subject matter, the artists that I'm working with, I do feel like I drove myself into that out of fear and, and anxiety. And then having that, the isolation, the sessions all drop, mm-hmm. like 
everything just come to a screeching halt. And I'm like, oh, this is it. Yeah. It's do it's it it is like the survival in terms of the artistry mm-hmm. just kicked in. Yes. And it sounds like you had a very similar experience. A hundred percent. You know, in terms of especially that forging ahead and and just kind of getting so deep into it where past even, you know, because for me, it wasn't always that I had, it had so much of a maybe financial hold on me because I was, I mean, I was still, I was, I was working even just other regular jobs for a, years and years and until um, the sleep stuff started to, you know, cover more of the bills or whatnot. But it was even just the scary feeling of knowing that you put a lot of time into kind of going down that path, regardless of if you liked it or not. And then to almost feel like you were not, not turn it's, I don't want to say turning your back on it because if anything, what you've been doing most of the time is turning your back on yourself to forge that path. Right. (laughs) Um, but, but it's still, it feels like this, it's, yeah, it's just terrifying. Like, Oh, am I actually like for real? Not, not only not going to forge that path anymore, but then to also just say, I'm going to do, kind of what I want to do and with everything that you learn from music knowing that obviously there's no guarantees on anything and arguably at least off the bat a lot of times it seems like doing just what you want to do especially if it doesn't fit a certain mold that it feels like there's a very slim possibility of things going well this is kind of half related but one of the things that I almost feel like I learned in retrospect a little bit was that I, I should have been less scared at times that kind of what, what you were saying with, okay, I'm doing music. I'm under that umbrella, but yet kind of nothing of what I'm doing is lining up with that. What I actually wanted to do is realizing that, you know, I might've been happier at times if I just was a waiter or worked some job that paid the bills that I liked well enough, like not something absolutely miserable but found a community that i liked found a job that i could work whatever 35 40 hours a week that covered my expenses and then put all of my other time that i wanted to into just doing what i wanted to do with music and even if it took a long time that that was where all my musical energy was going to go and i was just going to push it as hard as i could and just make that my focus rather than kind of starting to have the lines blurred of like, all right, well, we're going to do sessions with music as much as we can. And, or, you know, for me, like, um, let's make a bunch of beats that we can send out to people and all that sort of stuff. And then after we're done with all of that, then maybe we'll make more music, but more focused on what I actually want to make. And all just starts to get blurred. And then you don't really even want to do the stuff for yourself because you've already been doing other music the whole day. Like, I'm like, man, it might've been easier to actually have a financial supporting job that had nothing to do with music and even though that feels like a scary cop-out at the time and just take the time to focus on exactly what I want to do and try to grow that into something sustainable rather than yeah otherwise you just kind of get lost in it all that is such a mature like hindsight moment I feel like I I still find myself slipping into those those sessions yeah where it feels like, oh, I don't know if my project deserves, like it's my project, but I don't know whether it deserves this much time or right. I'm more willing to chip away at my own stuff. If right. somebody says, hey, can you work on this day? Can we do a session this day? Right. I'm like, 
I see on my calendar that I'm working on my stuff. Right. I'm more willing to shoot my own session in the face. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. Than somebody else's. And I, 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 I think there's a, there's obviously some like deep rooted self-esteem things there. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. <laughs> oh, and, and it's, yeah, it's obviously, yeah, it's the self-esteem stuff. And it's also because you always have that question mark in the back of your head of like, oh, well, I could do this other session and it could turn out to be something that is either very uh, financially successful for my career, or even just opens doors for me, helps me meet new totally. people. And and that's not completely wrong. Like, mm. even with saying this, like, I, I feel like, you know, you always want to try to keep yourself out there in the community that you're striving to be a part of and meeting people and be it sessions or, you know, whatever lunches with people or whatever your, your means of being part of the community is like, I, I think that's super important, but then uh, yeah, just keep, I don't know, just keeping it in balance. It's very difficult because no matter what, no matter what part of music you're in, it is a community. And at some point, if you want to turn it into something stable, there's going to need to be more than, you know, just me or whatever involved. I guess maybe these days you can do more from the outset on your own without people, but mostly only if you have cash to throw at it. Totally. That was something that always annoyed me too when you'd have the people who like, especially when you're struggling and you don't know what to do and they're just like, man, just, you know, just make good music. Good music rises to the top. And I'm like, not exact. No, like, <laughs> like sometimes, yes. Like, okay, yes, something can't be terrible for it to get big. But also, most music that rises to the top has basically venture capital money behind it. Like, big time. It, there's whatever. There's like forty thousand songs released each day on Spotify. Like, yes, there's there's always a little chance that something can go viral or this or that, but. The first step of the battle for anyone is just getting in front of other, getting your songs in front of other people so they can even hear them in the first place. Because otherwise, you can, you know, make the best music that has ever existed. But, well, first of all, I guess that doesn't exist. But, um, <laughs> but whatever. Your, your favorite thing that you've ever made and abundant, the whole world could love it. But if no one hears it, it's never, it's, you know, it's never going to do anything. So, it's, uh, yeah, money, <laughs> money is, it does play a role. So this is something that, this is a complete tangent. <laughs> Big freaking tangent. All right. And uh, this might be an eye roll moment for you. No, no, no. Like, oh, oh, dude, please, no. <laughs> I think you might know what's coming. Okay, okay. But just before I met you, I had actually seen you before. Really? But not in the flesh. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, here we go. <laughs> you know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were man in a wig. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I remember actually when I first met you and we actually, I, I, I have a lot of memories of us hanging out. I feel like we hung out quite a lot. For sure. Yeah, we definitely did. You in my mind were this miniature celebrity because it was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is man in a wig. I get to hang out with man in a wig. <laughs> and... At the same time, I think I often felt like, what if there's some part of Adam where he's like, this is so much fun, but please can this end at some point? And <laughs> like, 
can you yeah. just can you just like give me like the the twenty second talk through of how um, Man of Wig even happened because I never knew. Oh yeah, well so um so for those listening, uh, my like randomly assigned roommate freshman year at Berkeley was Charlie Puth. So uh, obviously that's funny coincidence, and <laughs> um, we hit it off pretty much immediately. And at the time, Charlie was. I mean, you know, nowhere near even his like full professional career starting. He had basically been maybe like a year and a half deep into running a, a YouTube kind of music focused channel that mostly did just kind of strange, funny joke videos, very much in the vein of that kind of early internet, like 2009 humor uh, <laughs> stuff. And. So that that was his that was his big focus where like you know I'd I'd be running around kind of doing the dorm stuff meeting a lot of people and a lot of times he was kind of locked away in his room working on his next video or whatever and it had to be maybe within literally the first month of being at school that he had some random idea for this joke song called Man with a Wig which there's not even much to explain. It's literally there's just a man with a wig and he's everywhere. That's it. Actually, I th- I think he had. I think we had the idea together. We were just like walking along Newberry, and he just had the idea and we started like riffing on it. And he was like, "Oh, you should be the man with the wig." And I was like, "Okay, sure, fine." Um, <laughs> and we made this just really silly, stupid video in like an afternoon. Um, and then when it went, when it came out at, at the time, you know, with like, it's so funny because thinking of how many like views it got, it would be absolutely nothing in, in today's world. But I think it got within like a month or two, it got like 150,000 views, which was at the time considered viral. Mm. Um, and it was like Charlie's biggest, second biggest, I think, video to date, and all this sort of stuff. It's not. It's not like. It's not like. Oh, it changed my life. It did it like? It's not like people were recognizing me on the street or something. But um, but definitely at least around like our community in Berkeley or whatever. Um, everyone did know me as Man in the Wig, and it's, it's it has weirdly followed me at times. Like there still are, you know, some of like. Charlie's super diehard fans online who, you know, tag me in some old picture of it or like DM me about like you're a man with a wig and by now it's like oh my god no I'm not <laughs> but like like okay we're we are so far past the date of expiration on that one but um but it was cool no I I thought I thought it was you know it was it was just fun to make a fun video with your friends and then have a lot of other people just happen to like it. The weirdest coincidence was uh, when I was in New York, I worked for a year and a half at the company Peloton, the uh, fitness company. No way. Which which was super cool because it was like when the company was like a year old and I just needed a sales job. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Like this is fitness. This is bikes. And I wound up working at obviously what – turned into being, you know, an absolute monster of a company. Um, but within my first, I want to say week and a half of working there, uh, I won't tell the whole story, but there's basically this bizarre experience where this old woman came into the store really confused. She just wanted to buy a jacket 
at a bike place. And there was literally one jacket, and she, like, put it on before leaving the store and then got scared that someone was going to think that she stole it even though she paid for it. So she asked me to reach down the jacket to, like, take the tag off. And I, like, had a warn. I was like, all right, I'm going to reach down your jacket. And I took off. She also put the hood up even though she was inside. So I took off her hood and removed her whole wig with it. Um, oh, my <laughs> and then, gosh. Like immediately, like put it back on her. And I was like, "Oh, uh, sorry." And then she just left. And obviously, everyone thought it was hilarious. I mean, I thought I was going to get fired because I'd worked there for like six days. Um, they 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 pulled the security uh, footage so that they could have they could make a little like just loop of of it that they sent around. But so point being is how this relates is with no one knowing about the Charlie video or anything at all for like the first three months of working at Peloton, people just called me wig guy. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that, that, there, there is no way in mathematics that you can make that happen. No, no, like that, that it was just insane. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was like, somehow I am, I am, I'm just wig guy again for an equally embarrassing set of reasons. Yeah, that's that's my weird tangent on a tangent. You actually just jogged my memory that um, the January it was like January 2011, and there was a huge snowstorm in Boston, and I yes. just moved out of the dorms, and I couldn't get into my apartment because the landlord lived outside of the city and <laughs> had the keys. Uh-huh. and I remember being like, "Oh my gosh, like I'm here. What do I do?" Mm-hmm. and I hit both you and Charlie up because I knew you were roommates. I yeah. slept on your floor for like two weeks. Yes. On a giant I forgot big, about that. Like, the, it, the big beanbag thing, yes. right? Yeah. Like <laughs> right outside your bathroom door. Yes. And honestly, that was probably some of the best night's sleep I'd had in a long time. That thing was crazy <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that thing was massive. I think it was huge. That was... But uh, oh, I will forever be grateful to you. Oh, for like giving me a place to crash because that was i think that you know as as we as we mentioned like you know when you're leaving the 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 relative stability of college right my first experience was and you have no place to live (laughs) right oh my god (laughs) no no that was that was a great thing about the dorms life though is that like i totally remember that now that you said it but it's not like i feel like now you know if someone crashed in my house for two weeks that would be a milestone that i remembered and the dorms (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's just part of life like that's it's just business as usual so i love that i i think one of the overarching themes of this entire chat has been how things kind of come full circle sometimes and for both of us there's been a journey that we started out on with an idea we took a a long way to figure out almost like revisit that dream almost with a new wisdom and maturity definitely like definitely knowing how to handle it now knowing how to approach it and and like i guess the experience gained along the way all of the i mean frankly i mean i feel like there's a lot of disappointment there's a lot of heartbreak there's a lot of angst but there's also a lot of victory in there i also feel like your experience with the sleep thing (laughs) is kind of like hey there is a safety net here I like whether you believe in God or just an overarching force around you. When I look at you doing what you do now in your artist project and mm. like no joke, I freaking love it. Thank you. Like it is it is on my power metal playlists. Yes. Along with like some of the most renowned bands of all time. Because Beautiful. it fits so amazingly. Thank you. I feel like there's some 
poetry there that, yeah, you should be doing this. For the love of God, don't stop. <laughs> because this is absolutely what you're meant to be doing. Um, I, for one, just as like beyond being a friend, just as a fan of what you do, I'm so stoked for what, for, for wherever you take this. And Thank you. what I love about this is I feel like I got to know you, like we got to know each other as college kids. Mm-hmm. Then we didn't talk for years. Then we had like a brief moment in LA, which it sounds like I actually bumped into you at the tail end of your feeling like I'm just doing these sessions because I feel like I have to. It was, yeah, it was kind of in that transition period because the the first half, like I said, I've been in LA just over four years now, but it was like the first half was let's see what these sessions are all about. You know, this is what I haven't been able to do in New York. Maybe, maybe this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the slow realization to being like, I don't think it is because it, it wasn't, obviously I didn't hate it. And that, and that's the hard thing with some of these things too. Right. It's like, obviously if you hate something, yeah, you know, you're, you're not going to keep doing it at all. So it's not, it's not that it was absolutely pulling teeth to, do these sessions or whatever. But I also, I was not being motivated to follow it. And so, yeah, when we crossed paths was, I think I wasn't fully at the point where I was getting ready to, you know, just kind of take a left turn and, and switch things up completely yet. But I think I knew in the back of my mind that what I was doing wasn't, wasn't cutting it for me. And I, I needed to start paying attention to that and figuring out what that meant. Mm. I actually feel like I met you at a, at a very similar point. Wow. So we were college kids. Yeah, again, we didn't talk. We finally got back together after years, meeting at this very like pivotal point in both of our lives. And mm. now that we're both talking, like you are plowing ahead with this incredible project. I'm I'm in this position where I finally created a body of work that I feel like is what I've wanted all along. And yeah. I, it's at a point where like, even if somebody said they hated it, I wouldn't care. Oh, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's the big, cause I, cause I was about to take a second, um, you know, after you have showered me with praise to, <laughs> to also, uh, say that I just seeing what's going on with your career now. And obviously the, the massive decision that you made to, I mean, not just leave LA, but leave the States, mm-hmm. um, to not only do that, but kind of from what it seems like, from what I'm hearing from you, you're having everything from connections to songs to bodies of work to you know, you're like the trains moving forward at the fastest speed it has to date. And all of that is, I mean, absolutely amazing, right? That's like so much of what you're trying to find this whole time. But then on top of that, to be able to say what you just said, to say, you know, I've made something and like, what of course you want the best thing to happen to it or with it that's possible but if nothing happened to it if not a single other person ever laid ears on it you're already so happy and fulfilled with it like at the end of the day that's that's what's that's what matters and that's what's gonna make you want to do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and i think yeah we've both been on a long road of kind of just coming back around to sometimes the way I feel like it is to me is like, I think, I think just we as people just far overcomplicate life. <laughs> Obviously, yes, life is hard. Life is complicated, but also life is 
pretty freaking simple. Do something that you love. Get people in your life that you love. Have enough to support yourself. Anything else is gravy. If you don't have those things, you're going to be pretty miserable. And that's kind of it. I feel like you just wrote a motivational poster. (laughs) That's right. And there's like a kitten hanging from a ledge (laughs) underneath my quote. So, (laughs) Oh, dude. This was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Of course. Thank you for having me. I have to promise myself that I am not going to spend another few years without seeing your face in in reality again. Like, in some way, shape, or form. Agreed. Our paths have to cross again. They will. They will. I'm confident on it. I hope you have an amazing day. It's nighttime here, so I'm going to go crash. (laughs) You do that. You do that. I'll I'll get coffee. All right, dude. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Right to Be Heard with Robert Gillis. It's seriously one of the biggest joys for me to be able to do this, to be able to share stories shared with old friends, new friends, just exploring the depths of life with people who are in music and more often than not discovering that there is so much more in common than I thought I had with people who I've known for a very long time. If you enjoyed this episode, please go and check out the rest. And if you're new here, welcome. Please consider subscribing, leaving a rating and sharing this with someone who you feel would really enjoy this. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. So until then, no matter where you are in the world, please have an amazing day. Thank you.